Here we go, Monday night, once again, time for Iron Sports, True Oldies Channel. I'm Mike Balsamo, Iris in studio. We're excited about that. We had to, you know, we're getting into what would be called the slow time in sports, but there's still plenty no, going on. Don't say it's slow. Don't say it's <laughs> slow. Well, you didn't go anywhere this week. I mean, normally, the last month, you've had like six flights a week, it seems like. You got to actually relax at home for a little 17, bit. This week. 17 uh, NBA playoff games and four NHL playoff games. So, uh, seven of the 10 finals. So, there were <laughs> 10 final games at the NHL and the NBA. I was at seven of the 10 of those. But no, I was hoping we had our show last Monday. Well, first of all, happy Juneteenth to everyone of its uh, honors the emancipation of african-americans very important holiday but um the i was last monday we did the show and uh, then i went back and saw the heat and it was like and then too, so i would say that 24 hours is a very bad 24 hours in, in florida sports because you lose two you're, you're clinching yeah. games or you're not eliminated elimination games in the finals you know what i know that a lot of people are probably looking at it like that but i'm not i mean i, I feel like this was Kind of a win for South Florida. Two eight seeds making it to the finals. I, I'd be happy if I was a you know a fan of either team. If I was a diehard, of course you want to win. But I'm still happy that this team overachieved. They look great, and the future looks bright. Well, considering both teams looked like they weren't even going to make the playoffs, yeah. there was a point. Now I think the Heat had a better situation, but the Panthers. We were talking about the, even the last week of the season. They, they had to win they, four in a row to, to get in. They need to even get in. So I think from the Panther perspective, it's like. But then after the year before winning the Presidents Cup, what happened? So it, 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 they're both they're both similar. Both AC to come, but it was. Mm -hmm. It was a, a shock on a Monday and Tuesday. And then we had talked that we thought that the Heat would have it, the um, Panthers would have a better, better chance of making a game six. Mm -hmm. And it was really the Heat had a better chance. The Panthers just did not put up any fight there in that game five. We'll talk more about basketball and hockey later. But another thing from the Panthers' point of view, I think, is finding out that Paul Maurice, the head coach, is the real deal. Because there was a lot of fans going from, well, we won the President's Trophy last year, and this year we made the eighth seed, do we need to let Paul Maurice go? And then after that playoff run, you're like, okay, this is not a Paul Maurice thing. We, we, we found our coach here, and he, especially after, you know, after losing the statements he's come out with, he just seems like a, a, a grown-up, a consummate professional, and to me, it was worth it just for that, to know all right, we got our guy, the players buy in, we're moving forward like this. And then also, having gone to both these games at the Heat and at the Panthers, I'll tell you one thing. The Panther fans are very diehard. It's a rabid fan base. And it, I, and it has a lot of young fans, a lot of young kids. Um, I think the excitement that this that people don't realize that a playoff run, what it does, it goes on for a long time. And I think that really is going to help with season ticket sales and overall enthusiasm and products. I've just noticed walking around, more people wearing, I see more people wearing Panther hats and shirts and whatever than I see heat. So. In Palm Beach County, for sure. Right. No, it, you're absolutely right. And we've talked about how the NHL does a great job of getting the kids involved. They, they want young fans. They're smart. They want to build lifetime fans. And, you know, for, for me, who's been going to Panther, games for 15 years and even a regular season game against Columbus you can see wow like this place is 90% full I see the same faces it's this season ticket holders they've done a great job and like yeah going to the Stanley Cup it's on everyone's radar now and I'm sure they built some life lifelong fans just from this run yeah, and I don't think the Panthers are going to have uh, Conor McGregor come out in the middle of third <laughs> period and beat up with their mascot. But they're probably that would be a smart thing not to come up or advertise something. But uh, <laughs> that should be the goal. I think that should be any marketing director. It's like, no, we're not having Conor McGregor at our games for any reason whatsoever, marketing anything. <laughs> we'll talk more about that coming up. Once again, it's Ira on Sports, True Oldies Channel. At Ira on Sports is where you can follow Ira anywhere on social media. 
So the U.S. Open's in the books, Ira, and I think it's, you know, two weeks ago we wouldn't have thought Nick Taylor would win the RBC, and I don't think anyone really knew who Wyndham Clark was up until about uh, Saturday night, and we have a new champion at the U.S. Open. 70-1 to one underdog. Um, his best finish in a major was 75th. <laughs> so, and he had just won his first tournament, and, and he had, I know this year, but he had, he's someone who a couple years ago was ready to give up golf, and now he's 29. It's not like He's not like Will Sal Torres, who's like 22, 23, who's come out. But he's been on the tour. He played at uh, Oklahoma, Oklahoma State. Then he transferred to Oregon. While he was at Oklahoma State, his mother died of uh, breast cancer. He started doubting himself playing in the tour. He's playing in the Web.com tour. Won there, got his tour card, but wasn't doing that well. I mean, here's someone who bounced around. Now, the question is for him, now he's moved up and everything, is this going to be a one-off? I mean, golf gets this sometimes. They get these Michael Campbells, who was one with the U.S. Open, and that was the only tournament he ever won PGA. Mm -hmm. You don't would never see this in tennis. Now, women's, yes. Men's, never. Like, you would never see a man that just never won a tournament go through and win a made. This is impossible in today's day and age that would happen. So, we're going to see how does he back this up. I mean, he keeps saying, I, his interviews were a little weird. It's like, I, I'm showing everybody that I deserve it, and I play here, and I'm this and that. And I'm like, well, yeah, well, you really haven't shown that. You won Wells Fargo. You won this. You have been playing well at the end of this year. Um, I think it was a thrilling uh, Sunday. It was in prime time, and you had Scheffler, McElroy, uh, Fowler, and Clark, and it was like, he, Clark was like, what's he doing in the foursome with his group? And it's like one of those, but I thought that made that exciting, and it was it was exciting golf. So I, I thought it was very exciting, and, you know, for me, the best don't have to win, but it's great when they're there, and, and that they're constantly on camera, and that's what we got, like you said, with Ricky, uh, and, you know, more so Fowler, speaking in that um, sense. One thing that I will talk about that grew on me very quickly was watching major golf in the in nighttime. You know, at first, on Thursday night, I'm like, this is just weird, watching golf this late. By Saturday night, I was like, this is awesome. I could sit down at 7 p.m. and and watch golf for three hours. And this was something, you know, most majors seem like they're here in the, you know, in the Eastern time zone. It was great to watch golf at 9.30 at night. I was shocked at the criticism. I, I'm, this is, this, first of all, they on Sunday, they went the final, it seemed like two hours without commercials. They had somebody with the commercials. Whenever they did so many side by sides, I mean, at least if you're going to put a commercial on, can I have C side by side, see the other golfers, see what's happening and watching that. And I thought that was great. I don't think the commentary was that wrong. I, I didn't have a problem. I think the only thing, someone did comment, I was listening to shows all day today. Someone said the blimp was so loud. Like when you were listening, if you have it, and I heard the blimp, and I'm like, I thought it was something outside. And it was like, no, it's really the TV with the blimp. But short of that, I thought they did a great job. I, I, I wasn't upset. A lot of people have were upset the night golf and this and that. But I thought it was fine. It was great. You can do stuff during the day. We're in South Florida. You want to be out to get, get in and to go watch it. There's not. It's not competing against anything else. If it was competing against the NBA Finals, I'd have a problem with that. Like if that would have been yeah, a Finals game, that would have been a problem but there was nothing that was competing against so take advantage of it no that, that's what i'm thinking because of the time it was and there's nothing to compete you know i got to watch some yankees red sox baseball in between i'd flip back and forth during well, commercials sunday would have been this would have been game seven so this could have been they could have had they were lucky that yeah. this could have been game <laughs> yeah, seven. yeah that's a good, good way to look at it uh but no yeah i got to play golf during the day got to watch golf at night it, it worked out perfectly and once a year to have something like this, it, it's fantastic. I'll start planning my, uh, you know, I'll start planning my schedule around it. They don't, they're not going out for the West Coast. It'll be back here next year. So, so you had mentioned, you know, as someone who watches these tournaments, you go to a ton of tournaments, you watch them all on TV. You thought this was a little bit of a weird experience as a viewer. I kicked myself for not going. I, it's The thing was that I didn't know until Tuesday whether I would have a game here on Friday to go to because I wasn't going to miss, miss the Panthers play. Now, I knew on Monday, but I wasn't going to plan to go to L.A. And then I want, you can't fly back and forth for golf, and they, it would be impossible to do that, or possible but impossible, whatever, to do. So I didn't know. So I was really mad that I didn't go because I was last year I'm wearing – 
from uh, the country club. Now, it worked out perfect last year. Remember, it was in Boston, so yeah. I went to the NBA Finals and still could go to one game of the of the, of the US Open, which is perfect. And I've done that at Pebble Beach, where Golden State played, and then I went mm -hmm. to Pebble Beach that next day. This would have been much more difficult, because there's no LA. The Lakers are not playing in the Finals. Um, so I was upset I didn't go, but the more I watched it on TV, I, I don't think, like, people watch golf because they watch holes because they play golf, as I'm not, I tell, I don't play golf, but I'm a, I'm a professional go-to-golf tournament person. <laughs> I feel like this would have been the worst ever. You know, they only allow 20,000 fans in. Mm -hmm. The Masters allows, like, thirty to 40,000 fans a day. You know, the Honda gets 50,000, you know, the, the Phoenix gets 70,000, but the 20,000 fans, and the reason is, is that, well, I was at Shinnecock, and that, yeah, I think, allowed, like, 30, you know, like 35,000 a, a day. The problem is is that you can't follow the golfers you literally there's no way to go from hole to hole they stop everybody and if you notice it on tv like at the masters how many pictures do you see when there was delayed on sunday you know there's a delay they're standing there and all those fans are around Everywhere. everybody you know like that like the one person says that you know there's one supermodel one woman i don't know if there's supermodel she was behind brooks like on every mm -hmm. goal if you're like wow you know I, I found my love on tv watching the masters but you could see everything around all the all the, and i think that added excitement this, there was no, there, they were putting. You never saw people around. You never see people lining the fairway. And you did not see them on the tee box at all. And that's where I, you want to be on the tee box or the putting. And like at some tournaments, there could be like four or five holes where you can't really get there. It seemed like almost every single hole was like that. So I was, I would, I didn't really regret not walking it because I don't think I could have. I don't think it's, I think it's an impossible course to walk. I, I think you would have got frustrated when they've held all the fans back. And it's like, now what I have to do, run around behind the hole to catch up to the action. And I, I can see what you're saying. Yeah, really, there was only one fan on 18, you know, as you're wrapping up, they brought the fans in. Which I thought know, was totally unfair to Clark. I, mean, I, I saw the same thing. Like, to add a little pressure to this guy, bringing, you know, wrapping fans around and him. And holding him up. And, yeah. uh, and it's like, if that was Tiger, he'd be like, I don't care. That's great. You know, Tiger loves that type of thing. But you could see that there's already enough pressure and he had a 60 foot putt. You know, now you're going to have fans all. Yeah, that, he has the two putt from 60. Right. So I think that was, I, that's where I've, I just felt like from a tournament, at, and this is weird. I mean, I drive, I'm in LA, I'm all the time, I drive. I pass this tournament, it's weird. It's right in the heart of Sunset. You know, when they show it on TV, if you watch enough, you see where it's at, you see Century City, see these buildings, and you wonder how this course is. And it's a very exclusive course. Like, it's like the Masters in many ways. It's very hard to become a member there, very exclusive. Nobody's just going out there and playing. Um, but it's, but people pass it. It's not like, the you know, you're driving by, and you can see the course when you're driving around. You think it's a local par three sort of at the outside. <laughs> but um, it, it was just what I, was, I thought that took away. So I didn't feel so bad I wasn't there because I don't think I think I would have been totally after being at the players this year and the Honda and the Genesis. I think the Genesis is made by the same architect. And, I, and I, the Genesis, I can still walk around. I follow Tiger hole after hole after hole. And, I, you know, it, I'm still able to, I don't think I could have got around on this course. This is Ira on Sports, True Oldies Channel. I'm Mike Balsamo. Don't forget, Ira's all over social media at Ira on Sports. So before we talk about, you know, the actual performances day to day, do you think that this tournament's going to be remembered more for Wyndham Clark winning? And if, um, of course, if he goes on to win, you know, five more tournaments in the next two years, that might hold up. But or you think it's going to be more Ricky collapsing or Rory McIlroy just once again not being able to get it done on a Sunday? Well, Wyndham, I think it's definitely from, I think from a Rory perspective is the one because Rory hasn't won a major. He's won 33 majors since he won, he won four in a row. He's 34, so he's not 44. So he still has lots of chances, but he's how in those 33 majors, he's 19 top tens and now three top twos and hasn't won. And it's not been like the Greg Norman collapsing and stuff like that. It's more like I have just not playing great at every, you know, he has these long drives, he's just 
great player and he wins other tournaments all the time and just this is it's just again it's him I think it's more frustrating from him it's like how when's this going to happen in terms of when he thought you know in 2011 he won the US Open 2012 the PGA Championship and 2014 the British Open PGA Championship by this time with all these majors he's been competing in you think he'd be at 10 or 11 challenging yeah. Tiger like so from a more perspective 10% of them he'd have another 3.3 majors that's right <laughs> From perspective is this, for Rory, he's going to go down as a great golfer, an all-time great, really, because he's going to win six, seven, eight majors. He's going to be at the level. But you're thinking, wow, you could have won 10 or 11. And in this one, this you're not going against Brooks Kepka, You're not getting against Scotty Scheffler. You're not getting against Tiger or Phil. You're going against Wyndham Clark. And you didn't put pressure on Clark. And I think that's how he played. I think the fact that you went 12 straight holes, parring every hole. You uh, will go through the tournament on Sunday, but the 14s, the, the mistake, the bogey, the, the, I just think that type of thing is that you were that Scotty Scheffler just is just great. He's just in there and he's there. And Ricky Fowler, I don't think Ricky's upset about this considering all when Ricky is the same age as Tiger. I mean, there was a point when he had one in 2014, fifth in the Masters, second in the US Open, second in the British Open, and third in the PGA. But he dropped to 125th. People thought he's going to be. He was if it wasn't for Liv, he'd be out of the game in terms of being a PGA Tour professional. He should be just thankful he's in the mix and he's got his game together. Like if I'm Ricky, I'm like okay. Okay, I'm back. I'll figure this out. Whatever. But for Rory's perspective, that you can't lose this one. This you're not going against Scotty yeah. or John Rahm or Brooks Kepka, Wyndham Clark, and it's just you and him. The no one's else challenging. It's it's like again a great racehorse going against a horse that is not like one of these super horses. It's your chance to win. And and I just didn't think he did. He did not play well enough to win. And and Clark wasn't Clark ran away to win this. Clark made the shots, but certainly not at Clark the level. Clark didn't lose it. Clark didn't lose it. And you got to think that Rory's going to be in enough. And he goes, oh, I'm in enough. I'm gonna, yeah, if you're in enough, it's going to happen. You're going to win. But this is when you had to—I don't think he had to do that much more to win this tournament. Speaking on Ricky, I was looking at it going into Sunday, and I love Ricky Fowler. But this was just one where, like, you know, he hasn't won in five years. Is his first win back going to be a, ma a major? I, just, I didn't see it in the cards in that sense. Seeing how the field was too, it was like okay, he's he's got some space here. It's not like like you said, there's no John Rahm three strokes back. It's just really Rory, and then of course what uh, Wyndham Clark that I have to worry about. But I just didn't feel comfortable with him getting his first win back being a major. Speaking of Rory, is even par on a Sunday? I mean, I know the course is difficult. Cam Smith shot four under on Sunday. He's one group in front of you. I mean, like you couldn't get to one or two under. If he does, he wins. So. To me, that that's he's he's a great golfer, but where's that killer instinct? And then, I don't know if it's weird, and I don't watch enough second places, but you know, Rory walked off like, well, this is it's over. Meanwhile, Clark still has to get a par. You know, it looked like he, he wasn't even anticipating the fact that. There's no chance Clark's gonna bogey. It's over. I got second, which I thought was a little weird. Uh, you know, Brandon Shamley, who I just can't stand. In terms of, <laughs> but he did make a comment. He goes on so many of these putts where Rory was just not putting well. I mean, he he hadn't sunk. He hadn't made a putt over four feet, like in like ten holes, and. It's like, maybe just get out of your routine a little bit. Like, walk around. Like, Tiger had a routine, too. But on those, if they showed the highlights, and I give the Golf Channel credit, they showed highlights of Tiger on his big, big putts. How he, like, walks around yeah. and this and <laughs> analyzes this. And no one's saying, hey, hurry up, Tiger. You know, and then he sinks the putt. And I'm like, yeah, there's a point where you have to maybe read this a little bit better and make this. And I just feel like, yeah, I think it was a huge disappointment all around for Rory. And, I, again, there was a big debate today. Did Rory win it or Wyndham win? Did Rory lose it or Wyndham lost it? Wyndham did what he had to do to win if another golfer is not going to come and take it from him. That's what he did, and Rory did And so it's a half and half, but I, if I'm Rory, I'm like, wow, this was my chance to do it. Before we move on, did you did you happen to see that Wyndham Clark switched from PXG clubs to Titleist like two months ago? 
because of, and then he, but he is also using the same uh, putter that uh, Ricky Rick, Fowler exactly did. the same putter as Ricky Fowler. So he made those club changes and now goes from guy you've never heard of to guy who's won twice in five weeks. So I don't know if it's condemning PXG clubs <laughs> or just you know something about his uh, you know his confidence level that he has now. But well, it's also good for Denver. You know, he grew up in Denver. Um, Christian McCaffrey was his teammate. Yes. Well, it's not teammate, but I guess they were classmates. Went to high school. Together, went to high school yeah. together. So that was pretty cool. And McCaffrey was writing to him, the star running back for the San Francisco 49ers. But um, in fact, that Denver wins the NBA Finals and now they win this. It's you know it's, good couple of weeks for yeah, William Clark. <laughs> Anything else you want to talk about with here with, with the other golfers? I know Liv, pretty well, you know, pretty well represented. D uh, Dustin Johnson and Cam Smith looked really good. Um, Kepka kind of never got going. Had some comments about hating the course afterwards. Anything, you know, the, the other guys. We talked off air. Scotty Scheffler. If this guy, if he st starts putting well, he's going to be unstoppable. It's amazing that he's always in the mix and not playing great. Scotty Scheffler is the best golfer alive right now. He is so much like Tiger Woods, and I hate to say it in a weird way, in terms of he can he's coming out with a C game and still being in the mix. And I'm like, I was at the players and watched him just run away with the players, just run, you know, 100 strokes ahead because that and that was like his B plus game. I mean, I think Scotty Scheffler got he's got to get this putting because now he's only had one major, but there's got to be a point for him where it's like. I can't believe how good he is. Like, you have to bet him every tournament because he's just, to. he's making, because he's able to do what Tiger was able to do. Tiger was smart. He played smart. But if Tiger made a bad shot, he could always recover. He'd always be able to find a way to recover. And he's always able to make that recovery shot and not say, oh, I just hit a terrible shot. As Phil has done and dig myself into a bigger hole, he's able to get out and make another shot. And I think that's what makes Scotty Scheffler so dangerous and such a great golfer. Now, Wyndham Clark, I'm going to give credit a little bit of this. Wyndham Clark, I thought, won this tournament because on the holes that he bogeyed, he didn't double. And I think there were about three holes, two on Sunday, where it looked like, you know, he whiffed that at glory. Like, this is going to be a double bogey. This could be a triple bogey. And he only made a bogey on them. And that sounds weird. But damage the, control. But, but that was it. And then he was able to birdie when he had to. So that, that was a big difference. But but very much Scheffler-like. But Scheffler, wow, he is just so good. It's just unbelievable how good he is. All right, let's talk about the tournament going to Thursday. Jupiter resident uh, Ricky Fowler came out like gangbusters, Ira, and everyone's looking around like, wow, did Fowler, and then uh, uh, Shoffley did shortly after that. Just, did he just set a course record here, tie a course record? Well, U.S. Open record at 62. They both had shot at 62, and everyone's like, what is happening? They haven't played in this course as a major. What's going on? This is a weird course because they have short par threes and long par threes. It's a different type of course. The fairways are much bigger. There's no water on this. But one of the things was it was a green layer. As you see, it was dark. And I've been in L.A. when it has been raining all the time. And that, with not having the greens baked in terms of the hot sun, that helped a lot. When I was at Shinnecock and the sun's coming down there and it's just like sand, it's like they were putting on sand, that makes those greens, like you punt the ball, it's going to go over a cliff into the water. This one, it wasn't like that. So I think it played itself. And I think they didn't, I think the way they laid it out easy, they wanted people to get, get into it. But understand, they, it played almost even the rest of the way. That first day was crazy. Yeah. And I think that's what Brooks got upset. Because Brooks is like, well, I shot a, a plus one, but that's what I thought. I thought I was playing a U.S. Open. I didn't realize I was going to the uh, Wyndham Classic or whatever. So, <laughs> or whatever. I mean, that's why I think Brooks was upset. It's like Brooks likes to play the majors where, you you know, you're, you get your birdie when you have to. You take your par. He didn't realize this was going to be just a normal tournament. And I think that's why he got upset about that. But Fowler at minus eight, Shoffley at minus eight, and DJ at minus six. And Rory was at minus five. But Rory started out amazing. He was five under through nine holes. And you're like, wow, I mean, this is going to be crazy. But that was the, really the first day. But who lost it the first day? Jordan Spieth and Justin Thomas. Jordan Spieth shot a plus two and Justin Thomas a plus three. And you're like, what is happening? I mean, these are two of the top five favorites for the tournament.
Wiseman, and they were really in the back. And what you said holds true because we saw the low scores today. But Thursday, Friday, I mean, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, a great scores, minus three. And that's what we ended up seeing going into Friday. Our boy Dustin Johnson, he had a little bit of a struggle on this one. Uh, one of the biggest blow up holes I've ever seen. But Ricky Fowler stayed the course. Well, Dustin Johnson cost himself the tour because the first hole he gets a, he's a four double, uh, four, uh, whatever. A quad bogey. A quad bogey. He hits a quad bogey. Otherwise, you know, he'd be in the tournament in the lead. Mm -hmm. But the fact that he could battle back after that and just hang in there and, and just. Amazing. Yeah, it's, even for the day. As so. someone who's from, but Fowler again hit. Fowler was having these six bogeys, but eight birdies. I mean, he set the record for birdies. He had, it was a 10 under. Clark then shot a 67, was a nine under, and Shoffley at eight under. And DJ finished with a with a 70 with, with that. I mean, it's a four under the rest of the way at a, at a six under. And that's when Cam Smith started making a move. But look who missed the cut. Phil shot a 74, missed the cut. Uh, Spieth missed the cut. Jason Day missed the cut. And Justin Thomas, and I was watching this, he had. Three double bogeys and seven bogeys. He shot 81. Only three golfers had a worse rest score in the, over two rounds. Just terrible for someone who, as I said, is one of the favorites to win this tournament. Justin Thomas, it's almost like Ricky Fowler, who I know they're close friends, is like all the problems that Ricky had gave to Justin, yeah. and now Justin, like they switched or something. It's amazing what happened. Yeah, it's crazy. The trade-off, it's exactly, I guess, identical. Yeah, they kind of swapped form somehow, which... I don't know if it's Butch Harmon or maybe there's some like uh, you know big magic you know where they switch bodies or something, but it's crazy to see. I mean, this is a guy who, what for three or four years you just kind of penciled him in for the top twenty in every tournament. Now he's having trouble making cuts. And just to mention about Ricky Fowler about Butch Harmon, I remember that's a coach that was Tiger's first coach, and everyone kept saying when Tiger was having his troubles, go back to Butch. He never did. And uh, Ricky went back to Butch Harmon. He fired his caddy of all the time. Went back to Butch Harmon as his coach. And wow, what miracles. And you just wonder if Tiger would have stayed with Butch. They just could I guess Butch is very hard to work with, but boy, if Tiger, how many more majors would he would have possibly would have won over Hank Haney or whatever golf, you know, with other coaches he had over the time. But what a miracle he did. I mean, again, people don't realize Ricky Fowler was, we were joke, we were talking about this. He was missing cuts tournament after tournament after tournament. He was He gonna, didn't get to play in the Masters. He, did, he didn't get to play the Masters the last two years. I mean, it has been, he, and, he, and he didn't even play the PG Open. Like, let's see. Yeah, right. He didn't make the Masters last two years and uh the 21 22 and 23 couldn't make the masters 21 22 no u.s open last year he was the alternate he couldn't even be in the hot top one the 150 he was an alter alternate for it so it's amazing that what he came back from and it's someone who is like you know so great and so good lose it and then come back pretty amazing like david duvall we talked about was a top number one golfer in the world lost it and never got it back fowler has got back so moving into saturday here it's moving day and the top of the leaderboard pretty much stayed the same. We, you know, some of the you know under guys were making moves, but the top stayed pr pretty pretty uh, relevant. And this is where Clark on 17, and I think this was the key to the tournament. I've said this again. Clark on 17 could have had a double bogey, totally butchered the hole, was able to save it a bogey, and then he birdied 18. That allowed him to be in the final group. With Fowler in the final group, who Fowler on 18 bogeys that hole. So his final hole, he bogeys and makes him this. So they're missed tied the, at 10. a bad putt, An too. easy putt. And not having, now he's playing with somebody he's comfortable with, who he's friends with, and not putting Rory in that final group, and not having Clark follow Rory, not having the pressure on Clark being behind. It just, it was a, it was a, it was a major move, the fact that how this all worked out the fact that Clark got in that final group and that gave him less pressure because again that was it, rather not having Rory in the final group if Rory knew what Clark had done then at least let Rory 
try to over, so maybe he would have played 18 differently or something like that. But that final, that Saturday at the end was key. Um, Rory was at minus, was at nine under. Uh, Scheffler had an eagle on 17, which is an amazing putt, um, and uh, 68. And DJ again 71. As someone who had bet DJ, I was hoping for him to Dustin Johnson, but he was at, at five under for the tournament. And Cam Cam Smith just averaged his three under, and Bryson was a three under. But it really came into this saying it's going to be Clark, Fowler, Rory, or Scotty Scheffler is going to win this tournament. So let's move into Sunday. It's Ira on Sports, True Oldies Channel, Mike Balsamo. Ira's on social media at Ira on Sports. You just summed up, you know, we're looking at this like it's a couple of horse race here. And it turned out to be to be true. I mean, nobody was, everyone was too far back to come from the clouds to win, even with some great performances like Cam Smith's minus four. How about Tommy Philly, which shot a 63? In the history of the U.S. Open, there's only been three times that someone shot a 63 in a final round. Fleetwood now has two of those. He had it in Shinnecock. He was so far away, though, he just got him to five under. Mm-hmm. And, and also Johnny Miller, who used it to win the tournament. So Fleetwood says, <laughs> like, hey, Tommy, like, let's play a little bit better, <laughs> and then you can shoot your 63. But Rory got a, bur- a birdie, first hole birdie, goes into 10 under, and then 12. 12 straight pars. I mean, it was the craziest thing. Fowler started his bogey. He had the three of the first seven holes he bogeyed. He fell to seven under. Clark birdies three uh, three of the first six holes. So he got up to like a minus 12, which is two strokes over Rory. So after seven, it was like Clark was at 12, Rory was at 10, Fowler was at seven, and Scheffler was like birdie bogey. He was at six. And it's like you're waiting for Scheffler just to start getting on this run. He's the only one hanging around there. Um, But then that's where we talked about Rory misses a four-foot putt on eight. That would have taken, you know, tied for the lead. He wasn't able to do that and then at eight Clark was in this deep rush he swung and missed at the ball like that was crazy and they just that he chipped that he finally got it out of the uh, right around the right around the green hits it over the side and then chips back and forth and was able to save just a bogey and say bogey that could have been a triple bogey yeah. on that hole and especially when you swing and miss at a, at a club and then so after 10 Clark was at 11 Rory was at 10 Fowler 8 Scheffler at 7 and then you're just waiting for you're like okay Rory is still in position to put pressure Clark is going to fold I I mean, I just, I just kept thinking. one stroke back all day. And so Scheffler bogeys 11. He goes to six. Cam Smith then gets up to six. I'm like, well, if they both collapse, maybe Cam Smith would also bet would come up there. And Fowler bogeyed again. But then Scheffler bogeys on 12 to drop to five. You're like, Scheffler is just getting himself out of this tournament. Just like he did the Masters. Remember, he was just up and down that final day of the, of the, of the PGA. He was mm. up and down, like, with a chance. And then and then on 13, it's a 60-foot birdie putt for six. Like, again, <laughs> it's just the crazy. But 14 was the entire key of the tournament. Rory on uh, uh, had 12 pars in a row. He burnt, you know, and and then and then he burnt, and then and then on and then on 14, uh, he has it's a par five. He hits the ball right around the green, and it plugs into right around the screen. And I think this rule is terrible. I'm like, if you hit the ball in the water and you can't play it, you lose a take a drop. But they let him. This is the rules. Take the ball out and drop it, but not in the sand trap, but outside, right on the rough. So it was such a benefit to him to have this shot. Like this was an easy chip shot, and he misses the chip. So they get it's like the golf gods say, okay, we gave this to you. Give and it that, and take it away. End up bogeying that hole, dropping a shot, and then and Clark goes in and Clark goes hits the next. And Clark remembers following him on 14, and he almost gets an ego out of this hole. He gets a birdie, tap and birdie. So then at that point he's up at 12 and Rory's at nine. So he gets a three-stroke lead. So at 14 you're like, okay, now we're going to put pressure on him, and and Rory just gave away that chance. But on 15, Clark, you can see he's nervous, he's frustrated. You can just sense it. He bogeys 15 to go to 11, but Rory's still you know parring it up again, and then Scheffler birdies. 
to go to seven. You're like, wait, if Moore's not going to do anything and Clark is going to collapse, maybe Scheffler is going to have like a backdoor cover on this. And then 16, Clark is a sand trap, hits out on the right of the green, perfect shot, but misses the putt. And when he missed that putt, oh, was he mad? Like, yeah, I thought he was going to, I thought he broke his putter <laughs> on the putt to go to 10, but Rory just, you know, still at 900, another par, and he had back to back bogeys. And then 17, Clark had an awesome drive. 18, Rory was in the middle of the fairway. So now Rory is one stroke back, knowing he doesn't know what Clark's going to do on 17 or 18. He's in the middle of the gotta fairway. Go for a birdie. You got to go for that. And he hits just a safe little shot right on there. And then he just pars 18 away. And then Clark is able, at the same time, Clark chips in with inches on 17, pars that hole, goes to 18. Now on 18, Clark. You know, he's down a stroke, and he hits it in the middle. Uh, he, his drive, he, it's one of the easiest fairways to hit on a drive on an 18th hole on a major, and he almost yeah, misses 60 it. 60 yards wide, I think. Then he hits it on the green. So, he's, so he played the safe way, but he's allowed to because he's up a stroke. So mm -hmm. he goes, and then he has a 60-foot putt. We just talked about how the fans were rushing out all over the place, and then he, then he puts it in and taps it in and wins. But... I just think, yeah, Rory had his chance. Rory let him get three strokes behind. And Scheffler, frustrating, is like, you know, I think Clark was ready to fold. I mean, it's like a boxer at the end of a fight. Like, almost when Tyson fought Buster Douglas at the end of it, is there was points when I thought Buster Douglas was going to go down and he didn't. It's like Clark was ready to go down and Rory just could not hit him to knock him down. Well, Ira, we've talked about it on the show before, things like the Tiger effect where you might be in the lead. Tiger is, you know, three groups in front of you, and you're, you know, you're lining it up on the green, and all of a sudden you hear the place go nuts, and you don't know what happened, but you know Tiger just did something. So maybe if there had been that thing, Rory chips in instead of, you know, two putting from there, and the crowd went nuts, it might have gotten under Clark's skin, but place stayed quiet the entire time. And when Clark fell, you know, Clark on 14, that was the difference. It gave him that three-stroke lead when he bogeyed the next two holes. So if he was only had a one-stroke lead at the time, bogeys, and he suddenly, Clark never played from behind the rest yeah. of the whole way. He always had he that lead. And that was the pressure. Didn't put pressure on to make a bigger shot. Um, it just, oh, wow. I thought it was a great tournament. Like, it was awesome it was to great. watch. It yeah, was, so it I, I enjoyed it. It was a good Sunday of, of golf. Yeah, I don't mind. I mean, you know, I would have preferred my bets to, to win, of course. Yes, I would have liked I Ricky know. Fowler to win. But I'm happy for this. I'm happy for, for Wyndham Clark. And I, I think this was a good one for golf. And like I said, I'm enjoying golf going until 10 o'clock at night. It doesn't bother me. Do we have to put in an Amber Alert for Jay Monahan? I'm not sure what's going on here. This is the craziest story. I want to think there should be a 30 for 30, and they should put it out right now. Because, <laughs> first of all, he does this thing with Liv and BJ Merch. And then he says, I have a medical emergency, and disappears. And these golfers are being interviewed. And everyone is, no one knows what's going on. And everyone, people think Phil Nicholson said, look, there's no one running our sport right now i know what's going on that's why i'm taking live now there's no one responding the pga is like there's it's just we we don't they made a merger but we don't know what the merger is about this is the craziest thing i've ever seen and you have these golfers and now the us open sort of took away but now that people are going to talk about it some more and more and more and i'm going to say this now i know that the justice department looks at it i think they have better things to do than a golf tournament there's a lot more things to worry about than golf and, and whatever but the fact is is that if the pga if this falls through I think Liv's wins because they're just going to say, okay, well, we'll just sign Rom and Rory and all the other golfers because, and the ones that didn't go because you were already going to do a deal with us. So why don't we'll just do a deal like now? Like what's what's keeping them now? They've already said because what's what's going to change that two three years from now you're going to do another deal. Exactly. We're going to be out of it. So the Liv is already won in this whole thing because PJ is the one who capitulated and decided we're going to do a merger with them. And then Moyhan does has he should be out. You know, it was funny when he was fighting Liv. He's the first person out he's there everywhere. Everywhere now nothing and there's. None of his minions are out there talking about it either. So it's crazy. You think he keeps his job? 
No, I, yeah. I, I, the golfers have got to get together in a room and say, look, you're done. Like a tennis, especially because as tennis, at least the tennis players like joke, like there's a leadership group of tennis. This is crazy. Like I cannot, people say, oh, there needs to be a Marvin Miller. No, there doesn't need a Marvin Miller. It just needs to be the golfers. And this is where if Tiger was healthy and playing. I think Tiger could just stay, take over. I, Tiger would be running golf right now. But I think that's one of the problems is he's not healthy, not playing and not being able to run it. What's next for golf? Because me and you both think it's a little weird how it's set up for the next week. They decided to put the travel next week which is in Connecticut all the way across the country as, a, as an elevated event of 20 million dollars and then they have the travelers and the rocket mortgage deer and then they play the biggest next everyone asks me what the next major is and it's a British Open at Royal Liverpool which should be exciting but who knows when you start going over there then you're gonna have the whole thing with this live and this is gonna continue the whole time um, I, it's just but look we had a good tournament I love watching golf and we talked about it so it's, it's awesome Ira on sports true all these channel on Mike Balsamo 737 times off flying by here we've got uh, still 25 minutes to go so, NBA Finals in the books. I, I don't know where we want to go with this. I mean, you have, like we said, you have to be happy if you're a Heat fan. And you have to look at a team like the Denver Nuggets and just say, they did it right. I mean, this is a really, really good team constructed from the inside out. They've got the best player in the league. Congratulations to Denver. Yeah, Denver, they kept uh, Mike Malone, their coach, when things were going tough, they didn't get rid of him. He, they, they kept with him. Uh, Jokic has developed when they drafted him, 41st player in the draft, developed into the superstar, the best player in the NBA. They bring in Jamal Murray, who after suffers an ACL tear, is able to come back and play. They bring in up someone like Aaron Gordon, who seems like a perfect heat player, who is uh, one of the oh, star culture, players yeah. comes in and says, I just want to play defense and rebound what I can do to help to win. And then Michael Porter Jr., Jeff Green, Christian Braun. And the one story, I, I mentioned this name all last whole week. I've been talking about Bones Highland, and no one knows who he is. He was, a 20, he was their 26th first round, 26th pick in the 2021 draft. He was their first round pick. And in November, he led the third in the team in scoring behind Murray and Jokic. And no one knows who he is because he didn't like get it wrong with Murray the whole time. And in December and in January, he got a fight with Murray on the bench. He went into the locker room. Room, and Malone said, well, you're not, they're in Oklahoma City. He says, you're going to have to get your own way. Go get an Uber and go fly Southwest because you're not flying back with the team. He came back. His agent said, I demand a trade. So they traded him to the Clippers for the Calvin Booth, the general manager, for two second-round draft picks. So they got rid of one of their top scorers, and he's on my fantasy team, so I know, one of the best three-point shooters in the league. He goes to the Clippers. He's bashing Denver. Denver stinks. They're awful. They're the worst team in the world. <laughs> they have no chance to win, whatever. I'm so happy to be here in the Clippers. They love me here. I feel appreciated. A week later, they traded for Russell Westbrook, and now he's not on the bench play, getting less time than he did at Denver. That's why no one... But you think that if Bones Highland had been in that game, he'd been draining threes. He would have been a superstar. People have been talking about Bones Highland. When you watch the parade and the champagne and the everything, he would have been out there. He would have been making millions and millions of dollars for himself. I don't think anyone's ever cost themselves more money by going, now he's a backup of the Clippers that nobody even knows who his name is. Like, no, you're what, right. He would have got a lot of... Expo I mean, if anything Jokic can do, it's distribute and set up open threes. Open three-point shooters. <laughs> I guess if you're... If you yeah, shoot threes, a perfect situation. He was a great three-point shooter, one of the best in the league, and I, that's why I had him my fantasy team, and I'm just like, that was the craziest thing, but this game, game uh, uh, five, it reminded me of game seven of 2010, the Lakers series, where the Lakers beat the Celtics 83-79, and it's like, why do you remember? Because it was the sloppiest big game in Imagine. This game meant everything. This was Kobe Bryant, Paul Gasol versus Paul Pierce, Kevin Garnett, and Ray Allen. This was it. This was, if the Boston would have won this game, Boston would have had two titles, and Kobe would have been a nine title. Kobe winning the title, 
cemented himself as a winner, and the Celtics losing, and just said, you only got that one title, Doc Rivers leaves, Rondo leaves, Allen leaves, all those things that happened from this game, and Kobe in that game shot six for 24. I mean, he was terrible. The best player was, and they were losing going into the fourth quarter. They came back and won the game, Meta World Peace won. But when I was watching this, that was only in 2010, when I was watching this game, I, that's what I felt. I felt that this game was just, I have never seen shooting like this. I mean, the Heat, I was just going real fast through the game. The Heat jumped out to this lead. When we came with our show, I'm rushing back, rushing back. Heat had this, they're like, they're playing great. That's like, wow. And then they, you know, then they were up 12-5, and then Denver goes on this huge run, made it 16-14. And then at the end of one, it's 24-22. But it was like weird. It was like one of those things where Butler's not doing anything. Bam is out of control. Struess scored, but you know, he, he was scored eight points. He was playing well. And then in the second period, the teams combined, at that point, they were two for 18 from three. And, and the Heat go up to a 39-29 lead. And it's clear, it's clear that Denver is choking. They're Wyndham Clark. Like they're like, you know, they're the pressure is getting to them. Like I was like, wow, the Heat could steal this game. Like this would be the perfect thing. And at halftime, 51-44 Miami. Denver was one for 14 from three. And uh, Bam had to 18 points, nine rebounds, one of the best halves he's ever had. And Jokic was playing well, but Murray was only two for seven. Third period comes. Heat still have a lead, 60 to 53. Butler is missing shot after shot after shot. But still, at the end of three, Heat are up 71-70. And I'm like, this game is theirs for the taking. Fourth quarter starts out, Jokic with a two, Murray with a two, um, and then and then everyone was missing shots. Butler was at that point was two for eleven. Christian Braun for the Kansas was missed two free throws. At that point, the Nuggets, you know they were stressed out. They were nine for nineteen from the foul line in a, in a must-win game. And is the fencing like a Struce block Brown's shot, like LeBron style when he was driving, and then Gordon blocked Lowry. Like, I love this game. It was chaos. The refs like we you know, left the arena, they were letting foul. <laughs> go all over the place. The Heat started the quarter of two for 13. And uh, one last thing I like about Joker, people say Joker, Jokic says he's not great on defense. He kicks so many balls. He's like a soccer player out there. And the <laughs> rules of the NBA are just reset the clock a little bit. But when the Heat were trying those entry passes, he always puts his feet out. I saw him against in game four. I think he had like six kick balls. And it's not a penalty. It's like, oh, it's not a violation. It's nothing. Any, you're allowed to kick it. It's not like a foul or mm -hmm. anything. And I think that's why he plays good defense. But uh, Jokic made a three. But then Butler, he had a, you know, Everyone's like criticizing Butler that he made a three and then he made another three and then he has then he's fouled and then he, then they Gordon fouls Butler on one of the worst calls. I mean, I'm a it fan. It was really bad. But Gordon Butler kicks his foot out into Gordon and they call the foul on Gordon. I thought that was the, one of the worst. And calls. the refs stopped time to review. And they like, reviewed you're it. assuming it's getting overturned I know, now. And I could not believe that they should have called a foul on Butler. And I know that yeah. he fans will be mad at me, but I, I, I that was ridiculous. But instead, I'm thinking, wow. And the Porter Michael Porter Jr. has missing shot after shot. Butler makes a 10-foot shot, and suddenly the Heat, are, you know, you know, or Heat up are one. Then Murray to Jokic, Denver's up one. Butler fouled again. He makes his shots are up one. Jokic lays up one. I mean, this was exciting. Those final couple minutes, it was a great back and forth, back and forth. Murray missed, and then the key play was with 131. Denver's down one. Murray misses a shot, and Bruce Brown gets the rebound, makes it, and, the, and that's a rebound you had to have. Goes up one, and then Struess. See, people met. I thought Struess's three was too fast. Struess comes down. He's not been hot. He just bricks a three. That was terrible. And then and then Joker comes. But remember, they Denver came back and Joker missed a shot and Gordon had a chance for the layup. He missed that. Mm -hmm. So that he'd have another chance and that's for the Butler. Turnover, when he comes down and throws it to KCP, it's sort of uh, you know, the whole James Worthy when Fred Jackson for Georgetown, old timers will remember that when he threw to James Worthy and, and threw the, the pass to Pope and Pope that made two frees and then Butler misses a three at the end and, and they it was a game was over. But that was exciting, that last four minutes of the game. Amazing ending. And I feel bad for the Heat, but 
I'm not criticizing. Everyone is bashing Butler. I, he has delivered so much for the Heat. They wouldn't be there without him. Without him. And he took him to the finals. He's now two out of four years he's been to the finals. He's won over these games. And some of my friends would say, he's a fraud. Well, if he's a fraud, then Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, Giannis, Embiid, yeah, what they're all What about frauds. the guys that don't Booker, make the finals? Booker, everyone. I mean, then the only ones who aren't frauds are LeBron, and you want to say Curry, and you want to say Jokic, and you want to say maybe Durant because he's won titles. Everyone else is frauds. There's no way I'm calling Jimmy Butler a fraud. I thought he was fantastic, and I thought when he way he came in that fourth quarter and played great like that was amazing. No, listen, Jimmy Butler is clearly one of the best playoff players in the league, and it's it's not even up for debate. Just watching the guy, he, he he's banged up, he's tired. He still looked fantastic, and the, the Heat would have not even you know they wouldn't have been there if it wasn't. I mean, he's so five for eighteen shooting. He had twenty one points, three boards, five assists. You know, Jimmy uh, Bam had twenty points, but look, Vincent did not play well the last five games. Three for thirteen. Struess was one for six. Uh, Callum Martin played a little bit better this game, but Lowry you know, had a couple threes, but it was four for 13. But really, I mean, Michael Porter Jr. was just awful for Denver, and they and it was shooting it wise. I mean, they, Denver shot five for 28, five for 28 from three point line, 13 for 23 from three throw line, and they still won the game. It was a battle. I, I just think the Heat, so close, but I'm not criticized. I will not, I will, if you're looking for me to, you're, don't come to me if you want me to criticize Butler. So the NBA came out this, uh, this week and decided to, I don't know if it's a fitting suspension. I may have gone a little more, but John Morant's going to be out the first 25 games of the season. My comment about John Moran is this, is that I think for the last years, 50 years that NBA's had teams uh, since Wilt Chamberlain before him, whatever, they players would go to strip clubs. I've never seen a picture of a player in a strip club ever. I've never no. seen that. Um, John Moran decided it wasn't just a grainy picture. He took a picture of himself in a strip club, but in Denver, <laughs> which is uh, it's ironic that he was in Denver when he took the, won the championship. And then he decided to have a gun while he was taking a picture of in a strip club. So I've never seen someone take a picture of themselves have a picture in a strip club, but you have a picture of yourself with a gun in a strip club, which really has to be stupid. And then you get suspended eight games, and then you come back, and then you're driving around, and it's not like someone said, oh, there's a picture of him with a gun. You decide to live stream yourself with a gun in a car. Now, you know that you were just suspended eight games, and you're videotaping yourself. Like, this is, it's like calling 911 on yourself when you're robbing <laughs> a bank. Like, I don't understand it. And it's just, for, he should have got the 25 games for being stupid. Like, I just, stupidity should be a reason to do it. But knowing how he's played, and I'm going to say this, I didn't like how, I, I'm not a big John Moran fan. He's, he is streaky. You saw him against the Lakers. He's out of control when he plays. He gets injured a lot. I, I'm not, I don't think he's going to, I don't, I think, first of all, I think he's not someone, when you see these finals and how hard these games are and how hard these players have to play, is he someone who you think is going to play for two months in playoff basketball in game sevens? No. I, I, and I think he's going to do something other stupid. I think this is the second strike. I think he's going to have three, four, five strikes. But I don't think see him as a player who's going to carry Memphis to the finals. And I, I honestly would, if I'm Memphis, I would trade him right now. Social media is destroying young people's lives the fact that he feels the need to get internet clout by posting videos and pictures of himself with guns on a second like after the first like the thought process just is beyond me and maybe because you know you and i are a little older than that generation like what's going through young 20 year olds heads that they need likes and clicks on, on social media i just have no idea and you're right i don't think this is the last we're going to see of john Morant getting in trouble so Basketball kind of got invigorated. It was yesterday or two days ago, and all of a sudden, Bradley Beal is going to be traded. And then, before you know it, well, first of all, Vegas says he's going to Miami. Vegas, Miami was the the odds-on favorite if you wanted to bet on it. But then, out of nowhere, the Suns swoop in, and Bradley Beal is going to the Suns. They're saying it's not as good of an offer, so that means Bradley Beal chose Phoenix over some of the other options. 
I don't know if it fits. I don't know if it makes him a better team, but Bradley Beal's heading to the Western Conference. Bradley Beal has um, been there for 11 years. It's funny. I was in NBA from the draft. I was at a party when he was drafted, and I actually got to talk to him. He's from Florida. He's a great guy. Absolutely tremendous person. A great asset to any team that has him as a person. And he went to, to Washington. He's played there 11 years. Was a superstar. Was sort of underrated for the beginning part of his years. Then John Wall was there, and Wall was sort of getting more of the credit. They were like the dynamic duo. But after Wall left, then he started averaging like 30 points a game. Was someone who was known to play every game, never get injured. But the last couple of years, he's been injured. He's only played uh, 60 games, and then he played. He played last two years, 40 games and 50 games the year before, 60. And his scoring average has dropped. He was a big three-point shooter when he first came in the league, and now hasn't shot as well. I, you know, he's a. I just felt like, you know, he's been in the playoffs 45 playoff games, but really since 17 18, only one series. His team's been terrible. I like Bradley Billy, 6'4. I just don't know if I'm not, I wasn't sold. I don't think it would be great for the Heat. I think the Heat need to bring a better three point shooter in than him and also someone who stays healthy. So I wasn't so upset that they lost him. I'd rather have Lillard than him. So I think that was the other point that they're, but, but, but I don't, Bradley Beal, they made this trade because he's owed. $200 million over the next four years, which is crazy money. And now they're going to pair him with Durant and they're a booker and they're going to have this and they're going to be an agent. So they have four max contracts. Ashiba just bought the team for $4 billion. So if you spend $4 billion, teams are going to have salary. This might be the last time we're ever going to see these super teams because the NBA's made it so difficult to put this together. But as a Heat fan, I'm not, I didn't feel, I'm like, okay, good. I'm glad we don't have him. I actually feel. All in for Dame? What? All I, in for I Dame. like Dame and I think, but I'm telling you from the Heat's perspective, Damian Lillard is gonna. They're gonna have to trade something. Like whether it's gonna be Lowry or whether it's Duncan Robinson or whether it's it's almost probably Tyler Hero. But I think the player that fits most in the Heat, I know this is crazy, is Carl Anthony Towns for the Minnesota Timberwolves. He is a big guy and he shoots threes because they can't bring someone who can't shoot with, Bam doesn't shoot threes. And Butler is not a big three-point shooter either. So you can't have a team that doesn't shoot threes in the way they, the Heat decide to play. So whatever, if they bring a big man in, he's the best, three, he won the three-point shooting contest. I think he'd fit in well. I, it's a, I don't know how they're gonna do this trade. I don't think Minnesota wants to give him up. So that's another thing. But I do think that Lillard fits better. If you're gonna have Lillard or Beal, I'd rather have Lillard and the question for the Heat is Tyler Hero is he the answer or is he going to be the person you trade to get the answer they know better than I I am I am on the fence with Tyler Hero I don't like he's so young he's 23 years old he's improving every year but is he what's he gonna what's his ceiling like what's he gonna be and and, and is it gonna be two years or three years from now that's gonna be the biggest question and the Heat know better than anyone else they watch him in practice every single day they'll know but this is gonna be the one of the biggest decisions they have to make is his hero gonna be the answer next year he's gonna score is hero next year gonna score 25 26 27 points a game or is it gonna be Lillard scoring 20 Seven twenty-eight points a game. That's the question for the Heat. NBA draft is this Thursday. The you can go ahead and just pencil in the first-round pick, uh, Victor Wembanyama from France. But after that, it's kind of anyone's guess. And Ira, you were saying a lot of these guys are unknown, but there's a good reason for it. Because they, a lot of them have gone to the G League. So you have five of the top play, players that have not played in college basketball. You have Scoot Henderson of the Hornets, who everybody likes, who's going to the Hornets of the second pick. Um, but he might go to the, he might be the third pick. The Blazers are the third pick. Brandon Miller of Alabama. But you have Amon Thompson and Asar Thompson, two twin brothers. They're going to be in the top ten that are taken. The Heat are supposedly going to take Leonard Miller, who's a, another G, uh, player that won the G League. So you're not seeing. The these stars at a play that's oh like I know who that person is and there's so much pressure now on this draft for these teams do you bring someone in that's going to be young and develop and you'll get be a superstar later but some of these teams with the salary cap problems because you're now you're getting almost a hard cap you really need if you're good to bring someone in who can 
it's like the NFL. Bring a player in who's cheap, like a quarterback who's going to play right now, give me 15, 20 minutes and be a key contributor that I can just pay minimum $5 salary. Million for a rookie contract, too, that I'm not going to spend a fortune to. This is going to be the challenge. That nobody has a tougher job than NBA general managers right now because they need to bring in players at the same time to develop them, to grow them, but also someone who can make an addition to the team because you, that you have literally almost a hard salary cap. Ira on Sports, Trulli's channel at 752. I'm Mike Balsamo. Social media, we got it at Ira on Sports. So let me tell you a little story, Ira. You know, in the, in the NFL, there's like ridiculous amount of effort goes into injury reports. You know exactly what guys are dealing with on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, leading up to a game. The NHL doesn't have this. You can just say whatever you want. Uh, six, seven years ago, the Rangers had a, a young player named Matt Zuccarello who was pretty much igniting them through the playoffs. He takes a big hit. You don't see him for the rest of the playoffs. <laughs> and it's just his upper body injury. And you find out three months later, he had a fractured skull. But that's how the NHL works. You don't have to disclose anything. Turns out, Matthew Kachuk, the Panthers' star, was playing with a broken sternum in the Stanley Cup. He could not dress himself for game four that someone had, he could not put his, he was so hurt, he could not put his uniform on. That's amazing. Being kicked under the rug, Aaron Ekblad, their star defenseman, had a broken foot in the Boston series. Play with a broken foot for the rest of the, the Stanley Cup playoffs. These guys are animals. The Panthers laid it all on the floor. Maybe they just had nothing left in the tank uh, there for Game 5. But regardless, as a Panther fan, I, I congratulate them for what they did. And the future's bright with uh, Paul Maurice and this team. You know, that game, uh, they, they just like the Heat. They came out fire. That, that first few minutes of the game, they, they were going after the, the, uh, the Golden Knights, and they played great. And then they got the power play, and then the uh, Knights got a shorthanded goal on the power play, yeah. and that sort of flated. Then they scored again. And that second period, when they came out, they, that was it. I am, they, and I, you said you turned off the game. There was a 10-minute mark where Vegas had a zillion I put a zillion chances. They finally scored maybe 3-1. Then a minute later, they then scored another one. And these were onslaughts. Like, Bobrowski is blocking every shot. Mm -hmm. It was almost like with a you know when the goalie stands out there and they just shoot at him that's what it was like they just defenseman like said like i would like to say Bobrovsky, just score the goal so we can get off and it was like it got it was a 4-1 then it was 5-1 and then it was 6-1 i mean it was crazy and then the point where they i've never seen where they pull a goalie at 7-1 mm -hmm. and then they tried to come back and what it was what the final score was 9-3 but so unlike the nba game but again, it was uh, the Knights, huge win for the Knights in terms of the fact that in six years they were able to, to make it. And I gotta give the, I'm gonna give the NHL a little credit on this. First of all, you gotta love how they end the game. They do the handshake, they do the lines, and they and then the trophy comes out. The whole show was just mm -hmm. awesome. But I give them credit because they really helped, like Seattle and Vegas. You know, when the NBA, NHL, when the NFL teams come in, the expansion teams are terrible. Like this was great. They really helped them out a lot, and I think that made it more competitive. It's nice to see that happen. Yeah. It, it, it's it's great how they do the expansion draft because a lot of guys are on the table. Jonathan Marsh or so, as we said, star of, of their playoff run, he was on the Florida Panthers. They, they couldn't protect him. He was, just got drafted. Let's go to baseball, Ira. And I don't know if everyone in South Florida is aware, but this Marlins team is pretty darn good. Ten games over 500 right now. I'm excited. The future for the Marlins looks bright, and they haven't had Jazz Chisholm for a month and a half. He's set to come back maybe in the next week or two, but things are looking pretty good. If they didn't play in the NL East, maybe the best division in baseball, if they were in the NL Central, you'd be looking at these guys locking up a playoff spot. It is funny. The Central, Milwaukee is uh, leading the Reds by a half a game, and it's like every team in the East has a better record except for Washington than, every, than the leaders of the Central. But that's what's in, in baseball again like last year. The surprise is the Dodgers have the worst ERA they've had since they moved to L.A. They've been they've just been 
been collapsing. The Padres are seven and a half games out with the great talent that they have. And the weird thing about baseball, though, is the Phillies showed that it doesn't really matter right now. Like, just get hot. Like, such a what is yeah. it? It's June. Oh, who cares? The Phillies were 100,000 games out. Yeah. And they, they're eight and two in their last 10. And they still made it through. I mean, certainly if you're a Mets fan and you're seeing day after day how poorly the Mets play, you're like, what is going to happen with this team with the biggest payroll ever? They're terrible. And I'll just give one example. One of the one of the nights we watched the Yankees-Mets game, it was an extra innings. Um, the Yankee, uh, who, which Yankee hit it to right field? It was... Uh, uh, it, which game? Um, the extra inning game. What's a, well, someone, they hit it to right field and Bauer, or the Mets hit it. The Mets, the Mets player hit it to, to right field. And Nimmo, okay. Nimmo, Nimmo hits the right field over Bauer's head. So mm-hmm. Bauer just stands there. And, and I don't know why he was so in anyway. Escobar, who's playing second base, doesn't know what he's doing. He's not playing. He's on second base. Is like starts to run to third, starts back to second, starts to whatever. It's like a little leaguer. Like people are screaming, like go, go. Like he didn't know what the rules were. Then he finally takes out the ball, hits at the base of the of the wall. They could have been gone. The center fielder for the uh, uh, the center fielder for the uh, Yankees comes over to get the ball, and Escobar like head first slide into base. It was complete chaos on both teams. It looked like little league baseball out there. These are you know two hundred fifty million dollar payroll teams. So. You were mad that Otani didn't get the MVP last year. Yes, I year. was. Well, he's on a redemption tour for Ira because he's leading every major hitting and pitching category except for saves. I don't understand. I, I, it's, it's ridiculous what he's doing. So lock up the AL MVP for him right now. He has 24 home runs, 58 RBIs. He leads the league in, in home runs at 24. He's hitting 300. There's only like 13 players that actually are over 300, you know, 300 in the league. And he has pitched 14 games with a 3-2 ERA, 6-2 and two with 105 strikeouts. Like, he's done everything. That's why he should have won it last year. He's the best. <laughs> player and his home runs they should get like extra credit because his home runs are so long that he should get like bonus like an extra run like a half a run on these home runs but it's nice to see the angels with trout like it, it is exciting there are a lot of teams in this texas surprising they're leading um the astros five and a half games back seattle is eight and a half which people can't understand and tampa went out that great start and they're still holding on and the orioles people kept waiting for the Orioles to be good they finally are good i mean look the yankees are disappointing the mets are disappointing every team in the, the AL east would be in the playoffs right now that's that's where I think it is. And Aaron Judge. And then they asked Boone about, like, well, why are you losing? Why did you get swept by the Red Sox? And he goes, well, we don't have Aaron Judge. Okay, well, I guess until you'll lose every single game until you have Aaron Judge back. Like, that is ridiculous. You have an entire payroll of $200 million. Like, you don't need to have Aaron Judge win every game for you. You mentioned uh, Mike Trout. I just want everyone to be aware. So Ronald Acuna is probably going to win the NL MVP. Right on his heels is this rookie named Corbin Carroll for the Diamondbacks. Nobody knows who he is. He's like 5'8". He's the next Mike Trout. Watch him play. He's faster than everybody. He hits monster bombs, plays great defense. He's going to finish second. He's going to win Rookie of the Year and finish second in the MVP voting. Nobody knows who he is. Plays in Arizona, but he is fantastic. But Arizona is three and a half over the Giants and four over the Dodgers yeah, and, and seven and a half over the pitching. Padres. So that's what's so weird. The whole set, they should like eliminate the Central as much as I'm a Pirate <laughs> fan. Because really, it's just the East and the, and the West are the, are, have all the good teams. You're, you're wondering, like, are the Dodgers not going to, I mean, if the Dodgers keep playing, they'll be out of the playoffs. Like, some of these good teams, what if the Mets and the, could you imagine if the, the Mets, Mets the Dodgers, <laughs> Padres don't make the playoffs, and a team that everybody makes the playoffs, yeah, and, and, the, and the Marlins and the Diamondbacks do. Crazy, crazy. <laughs> What's going on in auto racing? Um, Verstappen, Matthew Verstappen is unbelievable. The Canadian Grand Prix, which was awesome to watch on TV, um, he led lap to lap. He's now won six out of eight races. There's only four. There's uh, 14 races left. If he continues this pace up for the, like, I think I figured out like the next like six races, then six or seven races, he almost will win this with like six, seven. Like he could just say, I'm done. I 
don't have to race anymore. That's kind of the lead he's building up. Uh, Alfonso was second, uh, Hamilton was third, and the Ferrari driver, Seitz and Leclerc, were fourth and fifth. But Verstappen, is this domination is unbelievable that he keeps winning. He's tied Senna with 41 laces. He's only 25 years old. He's a young, I mean, this is tremendous. But, I mean, of course, it's the car, but it's also he's driving really, really well. And uh, another huge win. Oh, he had a bird. He was driving in an exhaust pipe during almost the whole race. A bird was an exhaust. He only won by like 10 seconds. They're like, oh, his car's slowing down. Then they realized, well, he had a bird in the exhaust pipe the, almost the entire <laughs> race. So you're wondering how fast that would be. Uh, let's wrap it up with some tennis here. Well, all I'm going to say about tennis is, we have Francois TFO who was on our show. He won another tournament on grass. And this Wimbledon is Djokovic is the heaviest favorite of all heavy favorites. This is amazing how much he's a favorite at Wimbledon because all the young players have not played Wimbledon because they there was canceled one year. The Russians didn't play because they were banned. And you just these players, they play on hard and it's not like you go out and play in grass. There's no grass courts in the world. They play these three weeks at, uh, during the pre-Wimbledon. Then you play Wimbledon and that's it. So last year when they didn't play, they didn't play the tournament. The year before it was canceled and Djokovic has all the experience. He's the best grass player ever and he's now playing people that haven't played on grass, especially the younger players and the older players that could challenge him have all retired like Federer and Nadal who aren't playing it. And But I love that TFO so you're looking for someone else to challenge him. I said Karen Hotchnov is someone who I like. But TFO to get that win like that, now you're wondering, you have to have a big serve, you have to return serve well and you have to feel comfortable on the grass. I think TFO, he looked great in that tournament. Now he has another two to go up but I'm sorry, that's he now, TFO this is the first time we had him on our show and he said my goal is to be a top 10 that was like four years ago he's now first time in the top 10 so this is a great for American tennis great for TFO and, and, and I like the fact that he's playing well heading into Wimbledon what's your plans for this week? The draft on Thursday. I'm excited. I've been to, I think it's this will be like 20th yeah, draft. You go every year. Well, I love going to the NFL draft and they moved it around when I was in New York. So when you're in New York, you can just go to the draft. And so it's easy. It's two rounds. You show up at eight. It's over by 1130. No one's there after 930. They, so I can't wait. It'll be, it's, it's exciting to see it. And it was a lot funner. The NBA NFL draft was fun because you could hear the TV and it, there's more going on. This is just, I just think it's, it's cool. And also you see a lot of uh, the NBA players that are there, the agents, the college players. We've got when Terrence Mann was sitting in the stands in a second round pick, mm -hmm. so maybe I'll get a guest on for next week's show. Yeah, I was going to we'll say, say usually you, you you know rub some elbows yeah, and, and so meet some fun. agents no. and stuff. But no, that'll be it. There's uh, uh, definitely the draft on Thursday night. We are out of time. He's Ira on Mike. Let's talk next Monday night. Ira on sports.